0: You know, for our fund, we do we pay the PREF and we do a 70-30 split at just one level. I've seen various indications where there's three or four different waterfall hurdles. It's a certain percentage of profits after a 10% return, a certain percent after a 15, and some individual deals go to 50-50 split. So there's 50 different scenarios. But, uh, you know, I guess the, the surprising thing for me was the PREF doesn't matter as much.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Jack Krupe from JCAM Alternative Investments. Today, we're talking about funds versus individual syndications. Jack runs a fund now, and he spent a number of years investing in individual syndications, being a real estate investor on his own, and working in private equity. Today, we're contrasting, comparing and contrasting funds and syndications and why funds are have advantages, specific advantages in certain situations, investing your money in syndications for you. Okay, it gets a little into the details, but these details are important. If you're looking into funds versus syndications, you need to understand why maybe a fund offers some advantages, right? Maybe it's right for you. I don't know. We're just presenting the information. You make your own decision. I think it's really interesting. I've seen the popularity of funds massively increase over the last maybe year to year and a half. It gotten far more popular uh, in the syndication space, and I can see the reasons why. You'll understand more of those today after you listen to this interview with Jack, who is from Jcam Investments. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return Love learning new things. I learned some new things today. I love building relationships with great people like Jack, and uh, you know he definitely has a wealth of knowledge in the real estate investing space. Has very diversified experience, syndication, doing his own deals as an individual investor when he first got started, experiencing the Great Recession, getting the distressed debt investing, and all that great stuff. We also talk about what his expectations are for the real estate market moving forward. There's a lot of talk lately for people uh, predicting doom and gloom and, and predicting that the Great Recession is going to happen all over again. We talk about that today with Jack. Remember, he was there before the Great Recession and experienced the whole thing and has a bigger, a broader view than a lot of the investors out there today and more experience to look at the market from. So just keep that in mind. We talk about that a bit, and uh, it's not all and gloom. There is some good news out there. Thank you for tuning in. Without any further ado, here we go with Jack Krupe. Jack, thank you for joining us today.
0: Right. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, it's great to talk with you. You're calling all the way from uh, Puerto Rico, which is pretty cool. For our listeners out there who don't know who you are, can you, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, what you're doing now, and where you came from?
0: Uh, sure. So uh, I've been in real estate since uh, 2001. Uh, shortly after college, I started buying uh, you know, one and two family houses in Rochester, New York, where I went to school. A lot of low money down, a lot of uh, subject to all of the kind of traditional creative uh, real estate strategies that uh, uh, people usually start out with. Um, I'm from New Jersey originally and uh, in 2008 I had an opportunity to move down to New York City and work for a private equity fund that was looking for real estate investors to help them as they were buying non-performing mortgages. So this was the heart of the financial crisis. Uh, I remember one portfolio that the fund bought was a portfolio of non-performing second mortgages like home equity lines of credit that had defaulted and they were buying them for 3 cents on the dollar. Um, Yeah, I mean, this was when, you know, everything was falling apart and, uh, you know, Lehman Brothers collapsed and and no one knew what was going to happen. And those were some of the best trades ever because, uh, you know, as the regulations went through and you had the HAMP programs and, and, you know, so many of these first mortgages that we, that, we thought would, would have just been wiped, would wiped out to seconds, actually got modified. And then the seconds modified and then California real estate prices started skyrocketing and as did most of the rest of the country. And, and many of those loans got paid off in full. So anyways, from 2008 on, I was, uh, had a couple different roles. I went back on my own buying, buying loans as principal with a small family office. And then we merged with the private equity fund in 2014. And from 2014 through 2020, that company bought 3 billion in non-performing and re-performing loans. Um, you know, at that point, I was a smaller piece of a much bigger team. I actually left in 2019 as an employee, but I still maintained a small ownership of uh, the management company, um, got my executive MBA, traveled a lot, and then uh, you know, relocated to Puerto Rico, where there's some uh, very interesting tax incentives for, for entrepreneurs. So uh, although I live in Puerto Rico, uh, almost all of the investments we do are, are in the States. Um, I launched my, uh, my own fund in um, uh, September of last year called the Diversified Real Estate Fund. It's a Regulation D 506C. And um, you know, the story behind that is I was investing as a limited partner in syndications uh, while I was at the firm in New York. So I had a, a friend that was uh, buying buildings in Charlotte and Charleston, and just the, the typical class B value add. And you know, I was um, you know, deciding where to put money. Do I put 50,000 in this deal or deal in Texas? Uh, which operator can I trust? How how will the numbers work? And so, what I wanted to do is create something that provided a little more diversification. So, um, it's, you know, I, I described it to my non uh, real estate friends as almost like a private REIT with better tax treatment. And you know, so we're in five projects already across the southeast. Actually, four in the southeast, one in Phoenix. We're working on a deal right now in Lexington, Kentucky. That's a 314 unit. And um, you know, the last thing in addition to the diversification. Is um, you know we we try to by being able to aggregate capital get better deal terms than say someone who's maybe putting fifty or hundred thousand into a deal and I found many sponsors are are very happy to have um, you know a consistent partner that uh, every deal they find that they that is good that you know they know they're coming in for a significant check and that's one you know ten less phone calls to make or one less webinar to make to get the word out so I know I said a lot there hopefully I I got the the basics out without. Belaboring
1: the point too much. No, no not at all. You did. Um, so one of the things I, I wanted to make sure we uh, touch on or talk about is that getting different terms as a fund investor rather than an individual investor uh, investing in syndications, how and why you're able to get better terms than, you know, because you're, you're bringing more equity to the table uh, than somebody bringing, you know, 50K of their own money and you're kind of what maybe some of the differences typically look like. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's hard to paint with a broad brush, right? But how sure. big a difference
0: it makes. Sure, yeah. So, you know, in, in some cases, it could be as simple as there's a different share class with a higher preferred return. That's probably the least lucrative of, of, the, uh, of the options. Usually what it ends up being is we actually get a piece of the general partner side of the deal as part of the fund. And I, I know anyone who's been through, I know there's a couple of gurus, whether you read a Joe Fairless book or a Brad Sumrock book, it seems like most of the guys have, most of the, the, the gurus have a, a ratio for, you know, what the capital raiser gets in the deal. Who, whoever found the deal gets the original, uh, gets a part. So it, it tends to range between 10 and 30% of the deal is up for grabs for people who can contribute, whether it's time, money. In some cases, uh, we're not doing this at this point, but in some cases, just being a, a high net worth fund or person that is willing to, to sign on for some of the covenants, even without personally guaranteeing, um, you know, can can warrant uh, a piece of, of the deal. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- those are the main things. It's bringing some money. It could be pretty helping with the earnest money deposits um, in the early stage of the deal, um, That's just because risk capital. Yeah, yeah. So, so those are the main ones. And then, you know, one of the things we try to do, you know, both for our our sponsors that we work with and for, for our investors is also just add value when we can. So I recently referred a 1031 exchange client. Now, the way our fund is structured, unfortunately, they could not 1031 into my fund because we already, it's a diversified fund. However, they could 1031 directly into the project. So um, I, I just created an introduction. We we went through the project and uh, you know that that client of mine went directly into the deal, and our fund also invested in that deal. And because of that, we actually uh, got granted a, a little bit uh, extra on that deal because you know we didn't we didn't get the funds into our, our fund, um, but the, the the sponsor was happy to have uh, you know close to a million dollar check into the deal. So that was a win win all around, and and we we seek to to do that whenever we can.
1: Yeah, absolutely, that's awesome. Now you did. Uh, I want to make sure we kind of flesh out the different ways that return is paid, and like specifically why a uh, greater, a higher preferred return is not as good as getting a piece of the general partnership or is not uh, perceived as um, a better option. Like, uh, wh- what does that really mean if we want to dig into that and explain why that is?
0: I'm sure. And, and, and this was something that I didn't quite have all the, you know, if you would have asked me a year ago before we sort of ran a bunch of Excel calculations, I would have thought it might have made a bigger difference than it did. Uh, But uh, as an example, our fund, we have more of a debt share class. It's technically preferred equity, but we do have one class that's just a 10% flat interest rate, three-year duration. The benefit of that is after three years, you could actually uh, request your money back from the fund. It's more of an open-ended option. Um, the equity side of it, we're only going to be raising equity for about one year because it it becomes unfair to the later investors. if a building's going to sell in three or four years and, and an equity investor comes in in year three, you know they, they they weren't in for the long haul and they get they get the same percentage of the profits. So, but so as we started crunching the numbers, uh, we have a six percent preferred return and an eight percent. You get eight percent if you put in more than two hundred fifty thousand. You get six percent for you know the minimum of fifty thousand. And we we looked at the returns uh, in various scenarios, and it really it, it's half a percent at most of a difference in return in scenarios where the fund is making a mid a mid teens return, which is which is really where most of these syndications. Uh, you know syndications lie you know just the, the there's i've seen probably 20 deals in the last 2 weeks you know ranging from a deal in Houston deals in Florida most of the average deal for an lp is going to be you know they're ranging irrs between 14 and 17 sometimes there's a you know a 20 if it's a, a heavy heavy value add but uh, it really the, the pref doesn't move the needle as much as uh, the percentage of profits you know for our fund we do we pay the pref and we do a 70 30 split just one level. I've seen various indications where there's three or four different waterfall hurdles. It's a certain percentage of profits after a 10% return, a certain percent after a 15, and some individual deals go to 50-50 split. So there's 50 different scenarios. But uh, I guess the the surprising thing for me was the pref doesn't matter as much. And there are some deals that have no pref. There's some deals that just do a straight cash flow, cash flow split as well.
1: Yeah. I've been seeing that uh, pop up more and I don't know if it's... Because you know, I'm getting, I get more and more exposure to different deals every year you know, just by being in the industry or if uh, you know, the market for uh, investment opportunities is, is changing. I mean, it surely is because the return projections are going down over time, like expected IRRs and everything. I also wanted to ask, like, what types of deals, asset classes, things like that um, are you able to invest in with the fund as the fund
0: manager? Uh, sure. So we have a pretty broad mandate. You know, the core pillars are uh, multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, uh, private lending, which includes both doing hard money or bridge loans, as well as buying loans, which was, uh, you know, a big part of my, my prior background. We're also um, doing, a, we have a senior housing deal. It's really just a ground up construction, build to, build to sell project. And so as part of the, the, uh, the construction side of, of things, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do a senior housing deal with a very experienced developer, that, that project is is likely to, to deliver roughly a 30% IRR. And, uh, you know, we do have construction risk there, but, you know, it's a good blend between we already, we're, we're, we'll be in our sixth multifamily deal, all of them are cash flowing. So, it, it builds a nice base to uh, also add some, uh, you know, some higher returning deals that uh, that don't spit off immediate cash flow. So, it goes back to that, you know, that investor who's deciding where to put $50,000 or $100,000 into a deal. Do they want to put all that into a construction deal and not see any cash flow for three years or put it into something more diversified that also has some cash flow along the way, and then potential big upside from some of these larger, uh, larger returning assets.
1: Now, one of the big things uh, these days as we, as we talk, and I mean, shoot, it's been years, right, is everybody's waiting for the next crash. You know, there's so many people that say, oh, it feels so much like it did in... You know, two thousand five, two thousand six, everything's so hot. It's so expensive, and because the last recession was driven by real estate and have so heavily impacted real estate, everybody's thinking that this one will, you know, inevitably come to put us in a similar position where you know mass foreclosures and and all that and those you know buying opportunities like you capitalized on uh, with your um, PE fund. And somebody's been around. Uh, since 2001, what do you think about the current state of uh, the market and, you know, noting that we're still not out of the weeds with uh, COVID and eviction moratoriums and all those things?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, I read the book by Howard Marks about market cycles and, and he kept repeating history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And I, I think that's a good, uh, a good narrative for my opinion on this. I'm actually very bullish on residential. Um, I don't think we're going to see another 2008 crash on the residential side. That, that was just, are just too many different factors. There was so many uh, people who really should have never got a mortgage. You know, they had liar loans, they had no income, no asset loans. You know, it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it was just, it, there was just rampant, rampant fraud. And then, you know, even the ones that weren't fraud, uh, when, when that many foreclosures started happening, um, it, it just caused issues in, in many of the major markets. Uh, this time around, I mean, with with the with the rules regarding uh, ability to repay, um, tighter guidelines. Um, you know, most of the people that have gotten loans over the recent over recent years, um, you know, had you know proved they could afford it, unless there's a major life changing event. On top of that, you know, we've had uh, major real estate appreciation across across the board. So these are not 100 percent financing loans that, uh, at <laughs> you know, the moment, the market stops, they're losing 40 percent of their value. Um, and frankly, even with with COVID, with the exception of New York City, San Francisco, and real major metros that got, that got hit, the suburban markets, because of lack of supply, housing, uh, you know, a vacant, a vacant property is generally selling within days in, in many major markets. So, um, you know, it's not the same crash. Uh, on top of that, there are many, including the old fir- my old firm, just institutions that have billions of dollars of, of dry powder to, to buy distressed loans. Um, so whether, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, they, they all will do these large loan sales for hundreds of millions of dollars in time. And, you know, the firms that buy these loans are, are actually conditioned to modify the loans. And I'm, I bet, I bet, I bet the house that with the Biden administration too, there's going to be programs that, that generally push lenders to make modifications to make everything available and generally what they'll do is they'll do a you know a cap modification they'll take the past due payments put it on the end of the loan and uh, allow the borrower to continue to pay again and for the institutions that actually works fine because with interest rates at zero once they have a performing loan there are now other institutions that want to buy those loans because if the interest rate is three or four percent that's better than you know the the bond rates at zero so um you know, it actually, I, I think what will happen is there's going to be a ton of activity, but it's going to be mostly done on the Wall Street institutional level. And there will be foreclosures, there will be short sales, it's, uh, but I'm not expecting the residential market to have the, the same level of buying opportunities in 2008. Now, the commercial, retail, office, restaurant, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of those repositioning deals. And that's a much more fragmented market. Um, a majority of residential loans, they get originated... And even if it's serviced by Bank of America, most of the time it's owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So it's really sort of controlled by a few of the big big organizations. Many more commercial loans were owned by community banks. And uh, so it's going to be there's going to be a lot of spread out opportunities with no one central place to find them. So there's going to be uh, a lot of gold uh, yeah, to find, but people are going to have to turn over a lot of uh, a lot of rocks to find it. One quick example is. A group I know, and we're, we're waiting on the, all the details of the deal, they're still in the early stages, but uh, they're working on buying a Marriott Residence Inn, which was one of the more extended stays that had kitchenettes, and they're going to convert that into multifamily apartments. Yeah, and that, that you know, so there's going to be many lucrative deals like that. And I think it includes even small strip malls that maybe the zoning will change and uh, you can build some residential and turn it into a mixed use. Maybe you keep a couple stores, but, you know, it's, it's not going to be the typical L-shaped uh, shopping center that, uh, you know, most of us, is, you know, almost everyone has one in their their, their current market.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things that, uh, one of the opportunities, potential opportunities out there that I think, I really hope somebody capitalizes on because we're going to see, we've, the mails have been, uh, excuse me, the malls have been failing for years now, and this is going to accelerate it for sure. But many of those areas where the malls are failing, we still need housing. People are still there. It's, you know, just e-commerce, uh, taking over and we're going to, we already have a lot of empty malls. Why not find a way to convert it to some kind of mixed use? Because if you have people living there, then, okay, you have, you will have built in demand for a grocery store and some, you know, small shops and stuff. And, uh, I, I really hope we see that shift, you know, in many markets. I, I have my eye on a few here and in, in my city that, uh, I think it could, could be good conversion opportunities, and I'm, I'm hoping somebody do, does them. I, I don't think I'm likely to do it, but uh, anyway, I, I feel optimistic, and I appreciate that answer. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Jack, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Uh, I'd say investing in sending out postcards uh, when I was like just a year year into real estate, um, you know, it was seven hundred dollars to buy some of those yellow we buy houses postcards. We bought a list from the local county, and uh, you know, it was a you know at the time I, yeah, I thought I might be wasting seven hundred dollars, but it turned <laughs> out we we got a bunch of phone calls. We sent a, we sent specifically to non-owner occupied two to four family houses in Rochester got a bunch of calls from landlords that were tired of their properties. And uh, you know, we made over 100,000 on that mailing. And, right. it, and it just proved the concept of, of you know, if you, you, you have to market, you have to put yourself out there and you have to, you know, you have to take some risk here and there. And, and uh, you know, if you do, um, you'll make contacts and make deals. Awesome.
1: We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment on the other side of that coin. What is the worst investment you ever
0: made? Well, so far, I'm still hoping it comes back. But uh, I actually bought a credit card website, uh, a blog about points and miles. I'm a big fan of the points guy and, uh, you know, love to travel. And with all, the, with all the expenses you generate with, with real estate, I mean, I was personally, you know, using, using points and miles to fly, you know, fly business class and first class. So, so it was like a passion project. But I, I was looking at websites as digital real estate because you can buy them at, you know, roughly three times the profit or 30% cap rate. Um, however, the, the amount of operational intensity and work to actually keep the, the site going was, was way more than I could handle and the expertise I didn't have. So, you know, it was a, it was a calculated risk, but it's certainly, uh, you know, it's something I'm still struggling with. I still own it. Uh, uh if anyone wants to go to creditshout.com, it's a, uh, it's a site, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's making about a third of what it did when I bought it. And I'm still trying to find a, you know, a right kind of, uh, partner or, someone that's very good technically. I think i I think I have someone I'm working with now by the time this, uh, well, I guess we're live on YouTube, but, uh, but you know, by the time many you listen to this, I, I may have, uh, the site may be improved or any, uh, but yeah, I, I learned I probably should have, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's real estate, you, you ready, fire, aim, uh, certainly not what we do on the fund, but you know, I, this is with my, my personal money. I took a shot at something to, to dive in and learn and it, it bit me so far. Wow.
1: Well, you know, we can all learn from that lesson. So I appreciate you sharing that. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: Um, I, I think you just, you've got to put yourself out there. Um, you know, and at least uh, my personality type, I'm a, yeah, luckily I'm an outgoing type A person, but uh, you just need, you need to, you need to network. You need to be out there and just, you know, one contact makes another one, which makes, deals just sometimes deals happen and you're just like how did I how did this come together it's just because uh, you know because you're you're out there and, and uh, I always try to to add value when I can to it's not about what can someone do for me it's what can I you know what can I do in return you know like the example I gave about referring a 1031 exchange um, you know, there was no contract or anything like that and you know because of some of the licensing it's not like I could have taken an exact commission for raising the capital because I'm not an SEC but you know I, I, I helped the sponsor who was a partner with us on the deal, and uh, we found a way to make it work for everybody.
1: Awesome, awesome. I think that's so important. Real estate especially, is such a people business, but all businesses really are, are a people business when you get down to it, even though some of them might not look like it on the outside. It really it comes down to uh, your network and your ability to add value to others and, and deal with other people and super super valuable uh, skills. So thank you for that. Jack, thank you for joining us today and sharing these lessons with us. I, I see funds getting more and more popular uh, these days, particularly over maybe the last year, year and a half. And uh, I expect that trend to continue. They seem like a, a good way to go if you're the right fit. And uh, you know, thanks for bringing us some of the lessons about your fund today and uh, why funds might make more sense. If folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to find you all that good stuff, uh, where can they hunt you down?
0: Uh, sure so our website is JKam Investments. That's j k a m investments.com um, we have a facebook uh, linkedin um, pretty much all the major social media and um, i you know we'll, we'll keep, i think everything'll be in the show notes as well
1: oh yeah yeah it'll be in the show notes i'm just uh, i got my other monitor here looking at your website yeah. gorgeous really well done so i think it and uh, folks should definitely reach out if they're interested Thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. We are now live streaming on YouTube. So if you'd like to join the conversation live, look us up on YouTube. Hit the notification bell and you know, smash that thumbs up button. Smash that like button. Leave a comment, all that good stuff. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.